0: Good morning everyone. Christ is risen. Christ is risen hallelujah. Great job. Yeah, hey, if you're new to the Anglican Church, Easter tides a whole season of the year. We get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus not for one Sunday, but for a whole 7 weeks. And so we're going to keep celebrating. We're going to keep yelling hallelujah because Christ is risen. All right. We're going to jump into a new sermon series today, and I'm going to share about something that I've shared about before. I've been uh, talking before about how I went to college at Moody Bible Institute, and I had a great experience there. I really loved that school. It was a very formative time of my life as a young man, Uh, but there was one particular experience there that I'm deeply thankful for today, and it's that every student who went to Moody had to be a part of a PCM, a practical Christian ministry. And so every week, of your entire educational experience, we were at some PCM site serving. And this looked all kinds of ways. There were students all over the city of Chicago. We were serving in urban churches, in like their youth ministries. We were serving in homeless shelters. We were serving at language centers. You name it, there was a moody student there serving. And so my freshman year, my first year of college, I had to be a part of this PCM at a nursing home. And so this group of students, we went and we put on a worship service because many of the residents at the nursing home couldn't get out. They couldn't go to church. And so we would bring church to them. And I am so thankful that I was a part of a team with some older students, because an 18-year-old Kyle had no idea what I was doing, no idea how to lead a worship service. And so this older student that was a part of our team was really wise, and he's like, guys, we just need to sing hymns. We need to sing hymns that the nursing home residents can relate to, the words that they know, the songs that they can speak, uh, you know. On the back of their hand, they just just know this stuff. And so we would sing these old hymns that I I came from a a big megachurch, And so a lot of these hymns were totally unfamiliar to me. We were more like the rock band style worship. And so I come in and I don't know these words. And there's this one hymn in particular that sticks with me that I just don't think would be very popular today in most churches. That hymn is called Trust and Obey. And the refrain goes, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. So a lot of you guys know it, but I did not know it. Uh, but this song just sticks with me. Uh, you see, throughout the New Testament, that this is just the truth. And if you're going to be happy in Jesus, you need to trust him and obey him. You see it all over. You see, it especially in the writings of John, just, just last week, we celebrated the Lord's supper being instituted by Jesus. The night that he was betrayed, he comes and he washes his disciples' feet and he gives them a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And so you see Bound together, love and obedience. And then further on that night, he says, I say all these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Love, obedience, joy, they just go together. You see it all over the New Testament. And that raises a difficult question. Am I doomed to unhappiness? Does anybody else in the room feel like I don't trust Jesus like I should? I don't obey him like I should. And so this refrain that there's no other way to be happy but to trust and obey, does that make anybody else a little uncomfortable? And that's why we need Eastertide. We need to remember resurrection power is ours in Jesus Christ. That we were not just given a future hope, that we were given a glorious future hope because of Jesus' resurrection. We were also given resurrection power for today by the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was really concerned before he left that the disciples knew that because of his resurrection, the spirit was coming. That because he rose from the grave, we would be filled with the spirit's power so that we really could walk in faith and obedience. That it's without the spirit, we cannot follow Jesus. But by the spirit, we can. We can truly be changed. It's an interesting note that in the Anglican tradition, We celebrate Advent getting ready for Christmas every year. We celebrate Lent in in anticipation of Easter every year. We prepare ourselves, but we don't really prepare ourselves for Pentecost. And so this year, Tim and I wanted to remember during Eastertide that Jesus' resurrection guaranteed the disciples the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to dive into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the church as we prepare ourselves for Pentecost Sunday, the last Sunday of May this year. And so we're going to dive in into Jesus' farewell discourse in the Gospel of John where two different times he emphasizes that the Spirit is coming. We're going to look at John 14 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn there to John 14 and we're going to see three things in our text in particular. First, that if you would truly know Jesus, know him as your Lord, you must have the Holy Spirit. Second, if you... Would obey Jesus, if you would actually be transformed by his love, you must have the Holy Spirit make Christ near to you. And then finally, if you would have the peace of God pervade your life, then you need the Holy Spirit. So turn with me, John 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The first thing I want us to notice in our text is that if you would truly know God, if you would know Jesus, then you must have the Holy Spirit. That's not exactly where Jesus starts. Jesus starts with the theme from the intro, love and obedience. If you love me, you'll obey me. But we often read that whole string of sentences as one long if-then. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, then I'll give you the Holy Spirit. But that's not what it says. It says, if you love me, you'll obey me, and I will give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows that what he has just said to them is impossible in their own strength. That because of our fallen hearts, our affections are all distorted, twisted up. We don't love as we should that our wills are are totally perverse, that we don't choose the good that we know is good. And so Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me, and I will send the Holy Spirit because you need him. And we'll come back to this in the second point in the main body of our text today. Jesus really hammers at this point that if you love me, you'll obey me, and this is all by the Spirit. But first, he talks about the identity of the Spirit here. He says, I will send the Helper. The Spirit of Truth. So let's look at each of those descriptors, each of those titles for the Spirit. First, Helper. Depending on what text you have, what translation of the Bible you have, you'll see a whole number of words. In the ESV, we've got helper, but you might see advocate, counselor, intercessor, comforter, or even another couple of words. Paraclete is the word in Greek, and paraclete is notoriously difficult to translate. But what you'll see in the sense of all those different words that could be the possible English translation is someone who comes alongside of you and speaks. An intercessor, an advocate, is someone who comes alongside of you as an ally when you are in conflict and you need resolution, you need reconciliation. A comforter is someone who comes alongside of you and speaks words of encouragement. You see that the Spirit comes alongside, a counselor, someone who comes alongside and gives wisdom. And so Jesus is saying the Spirit is the one who comes alongside and speaks, speaks of God's reconciliation, speaks words of comfort, speaks words of wisdom, reveals God to us. But there's another element I don't want you to miss here. Jesus has an adjective that describes helper or comforter or intercessor in your text, another, another paraclete. And in the Greek, again, another doesn't mean of a different kind. It means of the same kind. So Jesus is implying that the Holy Spirit is not the first paraclete, that he is. Jesus is the first paraclete, and he is sending the second paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to us. And this is profound, because this means that the Holy Spirit doesn't come to do something different than Jesus. You see, Jesus does exactly what we've just described. Jesus is the Son of God, come near to us, come alongside us. The Son of God become human. To speak to us. To reveal God's will to reconcile sinners to a holy God. To reveal the comfort of God's love for sinners. To reveal the wisdom of God. Jesus has come to be that paraclete. And now he says, I go away so that I can send another paraclete to you. The one who will not be outside of you, but within you. And that leads right into Jesus' second description of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth. You see, there's a famous passage immediately before our text, the first half of John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then just half a page later, he says, I'm going away, but I'm sending to you the spirit of truth. Jesus is saying, although I go, the truth is not leaving you. The truth, the Holy Spirit is coming to dwell with you, to be among you. You're not losing, you're not missing out. You're not losing something because I go, you're gaining something because the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth will be within you. Again, what Jesus is saying is, is immense. This means that access to God is by the Holy Spirit. Knowledge of God is had by the Holy Spirit. God's presence and agency in our lives is received by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you would know God, you must have the Holy Spirit within you. He must do this revealing work, this truth-bearing work speaking to you. And so my first question for you this morning is, do you invite the Spirit to speak? I think there's a one major barrier between most Christians and a vibrant life in the Spirit And simply belief that he is speaking, that he is here and he is speaking to you. Most of us, I think, believe that we can't hear the spirit or we don't know how to hear the spirit or that the spirit maybe isn't speaking to us, but we need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. By definition, the Holy Spirit is one who comes to speak to us who comes to tell us about Christ, to tell us about God's reconciliation, God's love, God's wisdom, to speak, to reveal the truth to us. Do you invite him to speak? Do you ask the Spirit when you open your Bible, Spirit, help me to understand the word. When you pray, do you ask the Spirit to come, to give you words, to speak to the Father, and to hear his voice over you? The Spirit speaks. Do we invite him? Do we want him to lead us into the truth? It is much more than that as well. Let's keep reading. Back in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. If you would know Jesus Christ, you must have the spirit. But also if you would experience Christ as near to you and know the transforming power of his love, you must have the Holy spirit. Jesus has basically two arguments in this main section of our text. First, It is by the Holy Spirit that Christ is made near to us, that Christ is manifest to us, that somehow, even though the world doesn't see him, we will see him. And that secondly, if by the Holy Spirit, Christ is near to you, you will love him. You will grow to obey him. You will be transformed as Christ is near to you. That's what he's saying. So first, he he has all this language about how he is going to be near to us by the Spirit. That even though he goes, he's not leaving us alone. He's not orphaning us. He is near to us. He will be with us, even though he's not with us in the body. Jesus' language is really rather serious, rather literal. He says, you will see me. He's being so intense about the closeness that we will have with him. By the Holy Spirit. He says, by the Holy Spirit, the Father and I will make our home with you. This language is is rather uh, uh, visceral. And yet, so often, we don't take it that seriously. We think of it as just like abstract theological language. The Holy Spirit indwells me. The Holy Spirit is with me. And so, I guess Christ somehow is present. But I want to drive this home using Jesus' own words on the subject. Two chapters later. In the same discourse, his farewell discourse, Jesus comes back to the Holy Spirit. Remember, he is very urgent that the disciples know the ministry of the Spirit. And so he talks to them about how even though they are fearful about his departure, they should actually be joyful. He says this in John 16:7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you think about that for a moment. Jesus is talking to the disciples who have seen Jesus walk on water, who have seen Jesus feed the thousands, who have seen Jesus raise the dead, forgive sins, cast out demons, command the winds and the waves. And he's saying to them, it's better for you that I go so that the Holy Spirit might come. I think many of us in this room believe if I was just present there, if I had just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, then I would really believe. If I had just seen Jesus forgiving sins, healing lepers, unloosing the tongues of the mute, then I would really believe I would have a transformative faith and I would really obey Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not the case the disciples who were with him for the entire three years of his ministry, it was to their advantage that Jesus not remain outside of them, but by the Holy Spirit be within them. Do you hear this? The Holy Spirit is better than all the miracles of Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus is so intimately near to us as to be within us. His presence is immediate. It's right here alongside us because of the spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. The spirit is here and that is to our advantage. And it goes right into his second point. That if you are near to him by the spirit, then you'll be transformed. Again, we often read this as like an if then statement. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, then I'll come near to you. But Jesus isn't doing that. He's actually just explaining reality. He's saying, if you love me, it's because you obey, or if you obey me, it's because you love me. And if you love me, it's because you've been loved by my father and you are near to me and we are with you by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you must have me near to you if you're going to be transformed. That's why we pray the prayer of purity every week at the start of our worship together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. You cannot love God as you should without the Holy Spirit. You cannot magnify his name Glorify him, worship him as he deserves. Obey him as you should without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in your own power. And so that is why we pray again and again, Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart. Do a miracle in me. Every year, all the clergy in the Diocese of the Rocky Mountains get together at what's called a synod gathering. And we have a speaker come in. And a number of years ago, it was a man named Ashley Null who's an expert in Anglican theology. He's actually an expert in Thomas Cranmer, the the founder of the Anglican Church and the Reformation. And he would pray the same exact way at the start of all his talks, a very short prayer. All he would say is, Lord, we would see Jesus today. Amen. That's it. I think it's because he understood that if we could just see Jesus If we could just behold him by the Holy Spirit, we would be transformed. We would love him and our will would be transformed to to obey him, to follow him as we should. And so he'd pray, we would see Jesus today. Holy Spirit, come, let us see Jesus. And so my second question for you this morning, do you ask the Holy Spirit to give you new eyes? Do you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a new Heart, Again, you can't do this in your own power. You cannot love and obey God as you should in your own strength. You need supernatural help. Do you invite the Spirit to come and do a work in your heart to make Jesus near to you? There are people in our community right now who are struggling under addiction, who are struggling with sinful habits that they can't break, that are ruining their lives. And the answer is not grit your teeth and try really hard to exert your will. Now, don't mishear me. You need to exert your will. You need to work at your own sanctification. But as the Lord is also doing it in you by the Holy Spirit, you cannot do it alone. You must be dependent upon the Spirit. And so you must call to him, Holy Spirit, make Jesus near to me again. Do you know the experience of his transforming power? Do you know what it is like to be near to Christ because of the Spirit? Ask Him to do it. Holy Spirit, I would see Jesus today. Let's keep reading. Flip back to the text one more time, beginning in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance All that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Only the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, can make us know God. And only the Holy Spirit can make Christ near to us so that we would know the power of his transforming love. And finally... It is only by the Holy Spirit that God's peace can pervade our lives. Jesus, again, is telling his disciples that he is going away. I've spoken all these things to you while I am still with you, implying I'm not with you much longer. But he comforts them, saying, but the Holy Spirit will come. He will teach you all things, remind you all things that I have spoken to you. And because the Spirit is with you, you will have my peace. And he says, this peace is not like the world's peace. I don't give you things like the world gives them to you. You see, the world's peace is always circumstantial. Peace, according to the world, is always based on a lack of conflict, strife, difficulty, or the presence of all your needs and desires. All the things that you want are present in your life. And so if that's the world's peace, then it can only be momentary at best or at worst, an impossible dream you can't achieve. You can't have that peace. And so Christ says, no, I give you a different peace. I give you my peace. You see, Christ had peace, even though he was betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus had peace, even though he was falsely accused, lied about, mocked, and ridiculed. Jesus had peace, even though he was brutally beaten, flogged, and crucified. What was the peace of Jesus? It was his unbroken union with the father. Nothing could separate Jesus from the love of his father. That was his peace. And that is the peace that Jesus gives us by the spirit. Romans eight brings it into clarity for all who are led by the spirit, spirit of God, are sons of God, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Why are we able to not fall back into fear, but actually have peace? Because we are made children of God. Because Jesus, the one true son of God, went to the cross to pay the penalty for all our sins and rose victoriously from the grave to win us resurrection life. So that by the spirit, we could be united to him and become God's beloved children. That's the peace that he has given us. That no matter how much we falter and fail, the love of the father will not It is secure in Christ. And so my final question for you this morning, do you know that peace? Do you know that peace that can't be stolen from you? That peace that is not circumstantial, that peace that is based upon God's unending love for you in Jesus Christ and by the Spirit? Do you know that internal witness that Romans 8 talks about, that the Spirit is speaking to your spirit? to remind you that you are a child of God, that you need not withdraw from God in fear. In fact, you need to draw close, crying, Abba, Father, the peace that Jesus has for you in the spirit is that God loves you. He loves you as a father and he is near to you. Do you know that peace? Church, the hymn is true. The only way to true happiness in Jesus is to trust and obey Him. And so we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to come to reveal Jesus as Lord. We need the Spirit to come to give us nearness to Christ that we might be transformed. We need the Spirit to come that we might know peace. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would see Jesus today. Would you send your Holy Spirit upon our church, upon all the church throughout the world, that we truly would see and know and love and obey Jesus and live out of the peace we have in him. Lord, we need your Spirit, if we are to follow you, to love you, to obey you, to magnify you, help us to seek him, to invite him, to ask him to move in our lives. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.